right, good morning, everybody. And uh, good morning to everybody watching online. We're glad that you could join us in worship this morning as well. Uh, I'm Zane Goggins. I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad to be with you to share the love and word of God with you this morning. Uh, pray with me. I'm going to ask the Lord for receptive hearts and minds this morning. <clears throat> Father, I ask for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that receive your love and your word this morning. I ask that everything that I made up or anything that came out of my brain won't be remembered by anybody else's. But Father, I ask that everything that you are saying to us this morning would not only be received with gladness and joy, but shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we in the world might know who he is. We love you, and we ask for the grace to love you more. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So we are in the middle of the season of Lent. It's basically halfway over now. Uh, that 40-day time in the church calendar where we practice wilderness, where we practice lack and need and dryness and monotony, usually by giving something up. And while we give up chocolate or coffee or meals or social media, while we're doing those things, we're listening to God's voice in the midst of that self-imposed lack and monotony. And we do this so that when those things are not self-imposed, we know how to listen to God and to find Him there. <clears throat> the wilderness is an important place in the Bible. It's mentioned over 300 times, depending on what translation you use, which is, uh, in context, uh, about more than double than the word hope is mentioned. And if you're really de kind of depending on the translation, uh, it's more than half of the times that the word love is mentioned. It's really important. What, what does that mean? It just means the wilderness is really important. And in the Bible, paradoxically, the wilderness is where God speaks the loudest and where we see him the clearest. Two weeks ago, uh, we went through the story of Moses and the burning bush. We have the reminder behind me how Moses was, was in the wilderness by choice. He killed the Egyptian and then he fled to Midian and he became a shepherd in the wilderness. Um, and then uh, God met him there in the desert and changed his life. And last week, Zach brought us a, a great message of the story of Nehemiah, how the entire nation of Israel faced a a not self-imposed wilderness in what's called the exile, where they had to live in a different country and speak a different language, and they didn't even know their own homeland, and they never even heard their own scriptures read out loud before. And then God disrupted that by what Zach calls God's providence mixed with board meeting notes. How in the details of what seems like monotony and boring things, God is actively present and moving in powerful ways that we don't even notice. <clears throat> and that's how uh, God released the Israelites, through boring little things that you wouldn't notice unless you're listening. And we'll have a few more stories of God disrupting the monotony of wilderness, and three weeks from now is Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week. Lent is going by fast. So if you've given something up, you are in the darkest time right now, right in the middle of it. See it through all the way to the other side. See it through. God is faithful to speak the clearest 
in the wilderness. So, throughout Lent, we're finding these stories of God disrupting wilderness in stories from the Old Testament. Uh, There's a lot of wilderness in the Old Testament. There's some in the New Testament too, but the stories are, you could could pick a hundred of them out of the Old Testament and still have some left over. And in these stories, we're seeing that wilderness will happen in our lives. Wilderness does happen. We will experience times of lack and need and dryness and desperation. But what we're also seeing is that God is found in those places. Based on how often wilderness stories are part of the Bible, you might venture to say that the wilderness is where God loves to be found. You might even say that the wilderness is where God, it's where God's favorite place is. Maybe other than the mountains. The mountains are where all the important things happen in the Bible, but almost all the other times, he's found in the wilderness. It's paradoxical. The place where we least expect to find God is where God seems to be all the time. And today we'll read a short part of a really big story where God was found in the desert all the time. So we're going to pick up at a time after Moses met God in the burning bush, uh, and then he uh, went to Egypt like God said to do, and then he freed the Israelites from Egyptian slavery like God said to do, and now he's leading them through the wilderness because there's a land just on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula called the Promised Land that God promised to Abraham many, many years ago, and he's leading the people there because that's what God said to do. And they haven't entered the wilderness yet, but they're about to. They're about to. Uh, They're looking for God to lead them to a better place from where they just came. But it looks like in order to get there, they're going to have to go through the wilderness with God. So we will be in Exodus 13, 17 through 22. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Bibles in front of you or under you in the chairs. If you don't have a Bible, you can have that one. And if you want to study the Bible, you can email me or bring it up in your small group. Exodus 13, 17 through 22. For context, uh, the Hebrews are free. They're free. Uh, The ten plagues have happened. Uh, Pharaoh has relented his control over the Hebrew people, and he has let them go. Uh, And the Hebrews had a celebration together. They celebrated that. It's called Passover. They celebrated the first Passover together. Uh, They made unleavened bread, and they uh, celebrated their escape. And now they're on their way to the Promised Land, which is on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula in an area called the Fertile Crescent, just on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. And they, they come up to the edge of the wilderness, and they make camp. And they're waiting for God to lead them onward. What they don't know yet is that Pharaoh is about to change his mind. He's going he's to come after the Hebrew people. And the last thing that the Hebrews need is a war. They wouldn't stand a chance against anyone, much less the most powerful empire in the world at the time. And so soon they'll be trapped between Pharaoh and the sea. But first, they're waiting for God to make the first move. And that's where we pick up after freedom, before the parting of the Red Sea, on the edge of the wilderness, waiting on God. Exodus 13, 17 through 22. 
When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. And so God led the people by the roundabout way, on the wilderness, uh, the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt prepared for battle. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. <clears throat> and they set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way, and in a pillar of, cloud, or a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place from in front of the people. So in order to kind of picture what's going on here, I think it's important to understand a little bit of the geography. The best thing for you to picture in your mind is the Sinai Peninsula. If you're not geographically minded, it's okay. It's just this upside-down triangle, uh, that can, a piece of land that connects the Middle East to Africa, right there. It's the Red Sea at the bottom, the Mediterranean Sea at the top, and it's just this triangle of land that's very barren. Um, the northern part of that edge is where the Hebrew people are. They're kind of on the, the far west side. They're coming out of Egypt, out of the land of Cush, which is by uh, the, the, the Nile Delta. That's where they were enslaved. And they just got to go across the top edge and go to the promised land. It's, it's kind of right there, actually. Uh, modern day Israel, it's about a three and a half hour drive. Uh, if, if you were to drive, uh, it's a two day walk, according to Google Maps, but probably longer without the highway. Um, it's not very far. It's 140 miles tops, like from this building to the Louisiana border. Like, that's how close it is. It's the same distance uh, as, well, it, I already said that. <laughs> it's just, the, the point is, it's a straight shot. The problem is that if you take the straight shot, you're going to hit this piece of land It's a small section inhabited by people who would likely make war with them if they set foot on their land. They're called the Philistines. They live in a place where modern-day Gaza Strip is, and they don't want people marching on their territory, invading their territory. And so God sort of looks at the poor Hebrews, and he knows that they've known nothing but slavery for the last 400 years, and they're kind of scrawny, and they aren't trained in fighting, and they have hungry little kids running around, and God says these people would not survive a war. We can't, we can't go the straight shot way. We have to go another way. And so they have pressure from the West, where rumor is that Pharaoh is starting to I don't know, have second thoughts, and they have pressure from the east where a really powerful group of people don't want them stepping on their land, and you can't go north, that's the Mediterranean Sea, and so the only way to go is south, through the wilderness of the upside-down triangle of the Sinai Peninsula. Our text calls it, at least in the New Revised Standard Version, our text calls it the roundabout way, the roundabout way. 
There's a lot of unknowns there. It's not mapped out like it is today. There's no Google Earth where you can find oases and just go straight there. And they have no clue how big or how small it is or how long it's going to take them to go this roundabout way to get to the promised land. All they know is that God was taking them to a better place through a roundabout way. A way that you just don't really choose unless you know God is going to be there too. It's dangerous. There's less certainty there. There's less sustenance. There's less rest. There's less comfort. There's less to see. And there's much more acquaintance with death. God takes them that way to get to the promised land. God takes them the roundabout way of the wilderness. And the Hebrews are putting on a good face. They're trying to look tough. Our text says that they went out of Egypt prepared for battle. But God's looking at them and and he knows that they're bluffing. They could not handle a war with anybody. With anybody. They're trying to look tough, even though any hostile nation would just wipe the floor with them. They'd be destroyed. Any battle would make them prefer to go back to slavery. Their military formation going into the wilderness is a big, fake facade. It's the same thing as when we go through times of wilderness in our lives, the kind that's not self-imposed, and people ask us how we are, and we say, oh, I'm fine. You know, no, no we're, we're good. No, no, thank you. We don't need any help. They're faking. Externally, they're good. They just celebrated. They celebrated their freedom. They celebrated Passover. But internally, they know that God isn't leading them down the straight shot up the coast. He's taking them the hard way, and he's taking them his way. And they're entering the wilderness of the unknown and trying to put on a good face in front of everybody else. And the wilderness is for their own good. You know, it's going to get them out of real harm's way, but they sit on the edge of the wilderness just waiting for God to make the first move just in case he changes his mind. But God isn't like Pharaoh. God doesn't change his mind and risk his people's safety. God knows the best way forward. The wilderness is not our route. The wilderness is God's route. It's not our favorite place to hang out in. It's his. We prefer the shorter path. We like the coastline drive. It's easier. It's A to B. It's a shorter trip. The scenery is nicer. There's a lot more certainty. Like, I know that way. It just seems obviously better. But what God is trying to tell us in this time of Lent, in this self-imposed time of wilderness that, where we try to listen to him, is that the short path is not the better path. Why? Because God isn't on the short path. He's not there. You won't find him. It may be a roundabout, but when you and I start going in circles, not knowing what we're doing, is when you and I start to look around for someone else to help. It's when we start to look for someone other than ourselves to follow. We get real humble, real quick on the roundabout way. 
You can take the short path and bypass the roundabout and bypass all the things that grow you as a person and you can skip all that dependency on God stuff, but God isn't on that path. And paradoxically, the better path might just lead you into harm's way. The wilderness isn't our route. The wilderness is God's route. So the Hebrews are just kind of sitting there on the edge of the wilderness, waiting for somebody to lead them. They're waiting for God to make the first move, which isn't a bad idea. They know God isn't on the short path, and so they're waiting for God to lead them into the roundabout. And what God does is actually pretty amazing. Uh, Our text says that God went in front of them. God went in front of them. And And that's pretty incredible. He's actually going to lead the way. God makes his leadership known by being a a pillar of cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. Notice how it doesn't say that God made his leadership known by telling them, go 30 miles south, take a left at the wadi, and then make camp whenever I say so. Although that would have been very clear and a very precise way to lead the way, in the wilderness, God's leadership doesn't always look like receiving voicemails. Oftentimes, it just looks like symbols. They're very clear, but only if you're listening well. God leads the way like a pillar of cloud in the daytime, as if to tell the Hebrew people that in spite of the impossible dry heat of the Sinai Peninsula, I will be your shade, I will be your moisture, and I will be your relief. And God also leads the way in terms of a pillar of fire, which, by the way, is a foreshadow of Christ who lights up the world, and all creation one day will be lit up by the light of Christ, and there will be no more need for a sun. But God leads the way right here as a pillar of fire, as if to tell the people That in spite of the freezing temperatures and the pitch black nights, I will be your warmth, I will be your light, and I will be your vision. It's not a voicemail, but the communication is crystal clear. In the harshness of the wilderness on the roundabout way, God doesn't just keep us alive, God provides. Whether or not these pillars are Literal, we don't, know, we don't have any way of knowing, but the, the biblical authors will oftentimes make theological statements about God by making theophanies in Scripture, by, by making mani- physical manifestations. It, it doesn't make God's provision any less real than what the text simply says, but regardless of what it physically looked like, God didn't just make the wilderness roundabout survivable. God made the wilderness roundabout saturated with provision and God's own presence. And that's the point. The point of telling us about the pillars of cloud and fire is to make sure that we understand that in wilderness times, God is there and God is providing. In spiritual dryness, God is there providing relief. In the chill and cold of loneliness that settles in at night, God is there providing the warmth of love. And when it gets too hard to even think about things too far in advance, God is there providing light and vision. The pillars in the roundabout way are the presence and provision of God. And God's presence and provision 
went ahead of them. They're looking for God to make the first move. They're saying, if we're going to go in the wilderness, I'm not going to go first. Uh, he's going to have to go first. And God, and God does. And that's the crazy thing about the wilderness. God is not taking you somewhere that God has not already been. This is the faithfulness of God. God leads us into the wilderness because that's where God already is, not where God is sending you to teach you a lesson. We might learn a lot in the wilderness, but the wilderness is not a tough love situation. God doesn't use wilderness to speak and teach us lessons. God speaks and teaches us lessons when wilderness comes. You know, some of the, some of the worst things that people who experience loss from well-meaning people, some of the worst things that they hear oftentimes are sentiments like, well, everything happens for a reason. We might mean well when we say things like that, but to someone experiencing wilderness, it, it makes God feel like a, a distant plan maker, way up there with, with your collateral damage as just part of the bigger picture as long as the bigger picture gets filled in. God's got big plans and your loss is helping God get that done. Not everything happens for a reason. But the promise of Scripture is that God will be there when things happen. You know, sometimes we make God to be a little too big. Yes, we serve a, a huge God, bigger than anything we can imagine, but I think our text is showing us that when it says God went ahead of them, what it's saying is that God is really, really small too. God is as big as the universe and all of the big plans, but God also is as small as you and me. God has made himself so small that the one being in the entire universe who had no need of experiencing wilderness and loss experienced the wilderness and loss of his own child dying. We serve a fantastically big God, but he's a God who doesn't draw up collateral damage plans way up there. He's a God who comes all the way down here to lead us where he's already been. When we go into a wilderness, it's God who has already gone before us. He doesn't sacrifice us to the calendar and the bad things that happen. He sacrifices himself to help us through the bad things that happen. God is leading us into a place where he's been before. It is not our route. It is God's route. And that's not even the best news of our text today. Our text really gets to the main message of the wilderness at the end of our little text. It says, Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place from in front of the people. In other words, God went in front and God didn't leave. I think maybe the best way to think about this is that God is in the wilderness at least as long as we are. 
Uh, studies show that only 5% of sermons are actually remembered, and when they are remembered, uh, they're remembered for a very short time, maybe a day. And so I'm going to ask you to use your 5% on that, okay? Use your 5% on that. God is in the wilderness at least as long as we are, and God doesn't leave. God does not leave. He's never far off. He always knows the way. He's been there before, and he's staying right by your side through it all, providing through the entire trip. The roundabout way is not our route, it's God's route. The wilderness is not the easy way. It's almost never the way that we choose other than once a year during Lent. But the wilderness is the way that we will find God in. And wilderness will happen. Bad things just happen. And the hardest thing about the wilderness is that the wilderness itself doesn't talk back and it doesn't give us any answers. But the promise of our text today is that God especially in Jesus Christ, has been down this road before. He knows the way, he's taking the lead, and he's not going to go anywhere. Let's pray, and then we'll have communion together as a family. Father, I thank you that... I thank you that we can thank you that the roundabout way is your way. I thank you that when we do experience wilderness in our lives, dryness, loss, need, desperation, I thank you that that's a road that you are well familiar with. I thank you that you're leading the entire time. I thank you that you're nearby. And I thank you that you know the way to a better place on the other side. Father, for those of us in wilderness times, I ask that you would be a very clear and present voice for them. Help us to see the the symbols and the things that you are providing with your presence, not symbolically, but really. And Father, I ask that those of us who are practicing wilderness right now through Lent, that we will be able to listen well and understand your voice so that when those times come, we'll know how to find you. Thank you that you take us on your way, not our way. We submit to your way. In Jesus' name.